June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. Economic and health recovery in the travel industry remains at the top of our list, and I'm joined on this edition by three of my regular guests to update us and prognosticate for the year ahead. Editor-in-Chief of Travel Weekly, Arnie Weissman, talks about when cruise lines will really return, and even more important, how they'll resume cruising, as well as what other countries in the world are doing to stimulate travel. Then Fred Dixon, the chairman of NYC & Company, on his biggest challenges in returning tourism to New York City, with or without Broadway productions. And then, Brian Kelly, founder of The Points Guy, on what you should really do with all those accumulated frequent flyer miles now. Some interesting options. First up, Arnie Weissman. Our next guest, one of our regulars on this show as well as our PBS national show called The Travel Detective. He's the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, Arnie Weissman. Hey, Arnie. Hey, hey, Peter. So, you know, here we are. It's Thanksgiving weekend, uh, a rather subdued Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, for all the obvious reasons, but a time not just to celebrate and not just to go to the mall and get stuck on Black Friday, but to think and reflect about maybe what we've learned from the pandemic, what we've been able to adapt from it, and maybe a few silver linings in the process. Yeah, it's interesting. We we have been forced to learn some things uh, that will have lasting effects. So, you know, the news about the vaccine is very, very good. And just on that topic, you know, what what, I actually wrote about this today, that what may be remembered 10 years from now about the pandemic is the acceleration of uh, medicine, these uh, messenger RNA vaccines that have been produced. This is a a therapy that has been promising for quite a while, 
but uh, you know the injection of literally billions of dollars into research to uh, come up with with this vaccine has accelerated that uh, what was before just potential into something uh, that can have application way beyond uh, just the COVID. Um, they, there are ways that uh, people are looking at the same therapies uh, to use against cancer, certain cancers, and um, that, that at that sort of high level is probably going to be a legacy of the pandemic, actually, our, our, our medical advances. Then other things that have come along from the pandemic, too, you know, when the cruise industry was, it, it got the blackest of black eyes at the very beginning of the pandemic when uh, the Diamond Princess was docked off uh, of the coast, of, well, actually, shoreside in Japan, and the phrase, you know, floating Petri dish was uh, the, the, what people thought of mostly with it. They did some very, very serious work uh, in looking at how it is possible to sail safely. Um, and, and two of the cruise lines, Royal Caribbean and Norwegian uh, Cruise Holdings, hired, um, put, well, I should say they put together a group that was led by uh, former governor of Utah, Mike Levitt, and he's also a former health and human services secretary, and uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who's a former FDA commissioner, and the two of them co-chaired it and put together the leading experts on so many areas that are health-related, uh, medical professionals, academics, and even uh, engineers and things like ventilation. Uh, and they came up with 74 uh, recommendations that the cruise lines should do before they uh, resume sailing. And I guarantee you a number of those are going to stick around uh, when the pandemic is, when we're looking at it in the rearview mirror, because they're just improvements on how you can keep people safe on a ship and on shore excursions, too. So they broke down every aspect of cruising and said, how can we do this most safely? And uh, they are doing it as an open book. They're saying we're not competing on safety so all the other cruise lines can take advantage of, uh, of what they're doing, as can other industries, because uh, what works in one environment may very well have applications in others. So uh, th those are two, but there's also some really interesting things. Uh, the University of, of Nevada uh, Get, got together some money to give a prize for innovations that would help with the pandemic in the travel industry. And some of the things they came up with are really interesting. The, the one that really caught my eye are single-use recyclable sheets. So every new person who comes into a bed will get a completely new set of, of sheets and then they're collected, they're recycled, made into sheets again. And uh, it's, it's interesting. They've, they've got a much more durable iRobot designed to clean the carpeting much more quickly um, and more effectively, perhaps, than somebody just running the, a vacuum over it. And um, the, these sorts of things uh, are just what I know about in the narrow area that came out of just the travel uh, industry and related uh, industries, but I'm imagining that this is going on um, in in many other industries as well. And 
applications that we haven't even thought about yet. Yeah, yeah. There's when when you think about it when when uh, the in preparation for the flight to the moon, the number of technologies that came out of it are simply amazing. I bet. Well, you might know uh, the Dustbuster was was originally built. <laughs> To go up to the moon, uh, LASIK surgery, uh, all sorts of technology related to chairs and furniture. I mean, it, it, I, the list goes on and on. So you're right. I mean, a lot of the things that are being developed now, it's always a process, right? So we, we've now accelerated to the step that we're at, and from there, people will go further. And yet, we still have a perception problem about the cruise industry. We still have not the not the repeat cruisers. Those people are very loyal. They have an entitlement issue. They they love their ships. They, I mean, look at what just happened recently when Royal Caribbean announced they were looking for volunteers to go on a test cruise. They got a hundred thousand people sign up. Yeah, yeah. No, the people, and that was uh, you know the change from the no sale order, which was issued in March, to the conditional sailing order, which replaced it in October. The reason, a lot of why that happened was because of these deep dive into the the protocols, but also the CDC requested public comment. And 75% of the people who sent in comments said, let them sail. (laughs) We we miss our our cruising, and if they can do it safely, we will be there. And uh, as, as you say, that trial, the Royal Caribbean trial, was uh, over. They got an overwhelming response. All right, so I've got to ask the obvious question, Arnie. Uh, are you going to volunteer to go on the first cruise? I have actually let the lines know I will volunteer to be on the trials. That's what I'm saying on the test cruises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've already uh, put in my name. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll go with you. How about that? All right. Yeah, we've 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 sailed together before. We have, but uh, this will be an interesting one, right? Because it's a, it's going to be an under different protocols, different rules, different, different floor plans, different passenger behavior rules. It's going to yeah. be, a, it, it will be a brave new world. Yeah, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how um, the the way it was described. Apparently, uh, epidemiologists look at something like this because no one. Uh, either therapy or protocol, not even the vaccines that are so uh, you know exciting that came out today. It's ninety five percent effective. there's There's a hole in each of the uh, protocols, and that's why they get layered. So they actually uh, talk about Swiss cheese, you know because of all the holes in it that uh, it's, a, it's a question of layering one protocol on top of another, each reducing risk somewhat, but never completely eliminating risk. Arnie, you know, we're, we're talking about the incoming administration. Uh, they'll be taking office in less than two months. Uh, what do you see happening uh, of, of a significant change uh, in the world of travel and tourism, regardless of the pandemic, regardless of COVID-19? Uh, and, and what do you think the impact is that going to be? Yeah, so I think you can look back to the Obama administration, which of course um, Biden was part of, uh, and how they how they looked at travel uh, as an economic engine, and really did what they could uh, to 
amplify its impact on the economy. So uh, Obama made travel a national strategic priority. And the importance of that is that every cabinet secretary then looks at how they can facilitate this. And the most, uh, the, the most prominent impact was in the State Department, where they accelerated visas for people to come uh, inbound to the U.S. to make it a more welcoming experience going through the airports. And um, it was very interesting. I went to a conference in Washington where all the various secretaries talked about what they were going to be doing. So if uh, Biden was paying attention, and when you look at travel as an economic sector right now, it is very, very depressed. Uh, and yet it globally, it's about 10, 11 percent of global GDP. It's an it's a economic powerhouse when it's working well. So there, there could be uh, a re-engagement with the travel industry, uh, as Obama had done, which would be terrific for the, for the industry. Then you look at some issues like Cuba. Uh, Obama opened Cuba. Trump closed Cuba to travelers for the most part. And uh, there's, I would say, a pretty good likelihood that uh, Biden will open it up again. There's one thing that is a parallel that would be very interesting to see if uh, it gets raised, and that is you've seen a lot of money, I think it was $25 billion, uh, pumped into the airline industry to help it through the crisis because they are probably of every sector suffering the most, although hotels would certainly give me an argument on that. Um, but... If you look at what happened at the, during the recession, the Obama administration didn't just bail out the auto industry. They took an investment in it. They took some control of it. And uh, they got, I think it was, they pumped in $80 billion and got $70 billion back. And I was thinking perhaps Biden might do something similar is uh, because when the airlines are, they're not out of trouble by any means yet, that the idea of uh, the U.S. not just handing them money, uh, but making an investment, which not, they don't want to stay in for long. They didn't want to stay into the auto industry for long. But once they got their money back, the American taxpayers were the winners. Yeah, you're right. I mean, somebody has to be able to do the math and make that work. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, that and then the other thing, which I think is is a pretty intriguing idea. So in in Asia, in Singapore, and in Japan, to stimulate travel, the government is giving its citizens uh, basically vouchers, travel vouchers. And um, I I did the math on this, and to do something equivalent here would be about sixteen billion dollars if they were to do an equivalent sort of stimulus. Um, and that, I think, would be a terrific way, although I think this winter would not be the time to try to launch it because the, the winter, uh, all the signs are this is going to be a very, very tough winter for the travel industry and for, for good reason until the vaccines are available. Although, but, although, Arnie, I will tell you, it's already started uh, with AirAsia out of uh, Malaysia. They're offering an all-you-can-fly pass for a ridiculously low amount of money. And it's you know, good for 12 months, and people are absolutely jumping on it. Oh, really? I hadn't heard that. Oh, that yeah. sounds... Now, and 
that would be great. The, the other thing, U.S. travel, is what they're proposing, and their lobbyists are, are trying to get this into the next stimulus package, whatever that looks like, is a travel tax credit that you would have be able to write off travel up into up to a certain amount, and uh, for those who who's uh, aren't in the alternative uh, alternate was it the alter, alternate tax bracket, which it doesn't matter what you do, you're always paying the same amount. Uh, that sounds like a uh, an idea that might have some legs. You know what? I think I, I love the the all you can fly pass. It reminds me of my days at the University of Wisconsin when you had student fairs. You know, half off of any published fair, as long as they had a seat, you could go. I love it, and I think that would stimulate traffic. I, I really do. People will get back on the it's, – it's like the volunteers for the cruise, you know, yeah. jump on board. And, and it, gives some it. Liquid, it gives liquidity to the airline at the time they need it the most. Exactly, and it also gives them an opportunity for, you know, word of mouth that people were able to take a flight and didn't come off glowing in the dark. <laughs> right. My thanks to Arnie. With more than 1,400 restaurants closed and maybe never reopening, Broadway shuttered, and incoming tourism down more than 90%, how does New York survive? Fred Dixon, chairman of NYC and Company, checks in to talk about some important short and long-term solutions, and why this might actually be the best time to at least plan a trip to New York. Reports of the demise of New York City may be exaggerated, but the person who knows all that is my next guest. I've known him for years. He's the president and CEO of NYC and company, Fred Dixon. Fred, welcome. Thank you very much, Peter. You know, if I were to read the last four days of the New York Times and a few other newspapers, I would say New York is finished. That would be my guess. Uh, Broadway is closed. Um, arrivals are down by, you know, double digits, large double digits. Hotels are closed. We've lost, what, 1,400 restaurants that may never reopen. Um, and yet I'm one of those guys who goes, hey, Brooklyn's not closed. We're in Brooklyn. Staten Island's not closed. Queens is not closed. The Bronx is not closed. I mean, how much of New York visitation, I know there's an image here, but yeah. how much of New York visitation is so predicated on Broadway? Yeah, I tell you, you know, one thing I've learned, you never bet against New York and you never bet against Brooklyn. So the city that never sleeps is taking a bit of a nap at the moment, but we are preparing for the recovery and the comeback. And it's interesting, you know, everyone looks to Broadway as, as the real hallmark in, in many ways for the brand of New York, but there is vibrancy happening in all uh, four boroughs outside of Manhattan. It's even happening in Manhattan itself with the holiday markets and the tree is getting ready to go up. And we've got the Thanksgiving parade broadcast on its way. So we're we're on a track to, to recover. Um, this is a difficult moment. There's no question at all. But but, but are you, you really thinking that we're talking 2023 or 2024? Well, our latest forecasts show that we should see an inflection point next year when the vaccine begins wide distribution. And from there, we'll start a rebound process that we think will take about three years. By the end of next year, we expect to have half of our volume back in New York by, by the time the ball drops in 21. You know, I, I, I failed math in high school, but I can do basic arithmetic. So here's what I came up with. Yep. If you took the capacity of every Broadway theater in Manhattan, You'd fill maybe four airplanes. I mean, so 
the reality is there's so much more to do. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not trying to dump on Broadway because I want to go all the time. Absolutely. But if they're not going to open till May, that's not going to keep me from coming to New York. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we always say, you know, Broadway is fantastic, but it, but seeing New York without Broadway is not a consolation prize. There are things happening all over this great hey, city. Hey, by the way, walk down Broadway, you'll see a performance. Trust me. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, that's the guaranteeing guaranteeing thing about New York. I mean, you know, there there is always something going on here. And I can tell you, I'm, I've stayed here throughout every everything or the last few months and um and i get out on the weekends i have biked this city every five borough uh every one of the five boroughs and and i i have seen nothing but vibrancy and hope well i have an admission to make i've said this on the air before i'm born and bred in new york i mean for purposes of full disclosure i've lived in the same building in manhattan since i'm six months old and yet i didn't know my neighborhood until the pandemic yeah i started walking and i was walking every day and I was walking by things that I just passed by before in a taxi or a bus or underground on a subway. And now I'm seeing things for the first time. It was amazing to me. It was a revelation. Yeah, I tell you, there are silver linings to this. And I think that this is the moment where people really show their true colors and people shine. And you see New Yorkers supporting one another. You see businesses supporting one another. You see New Yorkers rediscovering their own city for the first time because we're, we're a busy city. We're busy people. And like you said, we rarely look up from our phones or what we're into. Uh, and we're appreciating and and uh thankful for the this great city more and more every day i go back to the days and even some of the weeks after 9 11 and there was a remarkable transformation on the streets of manhattan horns weren't honking people were moving slower they were nicer they were polite uh the middle finger was retracted um <laughs> and i'm seeing the same thing now yeah, it's remarkable. I see it too. And you know, New Yorkers of every stripes, uh, you know, are showing what great people they are, and 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 that is part of what gives me hope, and and knowing that it's it's not going to be long. We've got a bridge to cross, and we're going to start to get back. And when you think about what's still open here, I mean, re- you know, regardless of Broadway, the museums have reopened. They've done it on a staggered schedule. Uh, you have to make a reservation. You have to book it online. But mm-hmm. guess what? They're not only staggering the schedule, they're limiting the number of people at any one time in the museum. So your actual valuable time in the museum has been increased and your experience level has been increased. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you, when do you get to enjoy the museums at this level of activity? You don't. And so it's a remarkable moment in time to take advantage of. Just this morning, I was on the phone with the, the, the team from the, the Bronx Zoo, and, and they've been selling out every day. And in fact, their holiday lights are, uh, show is getting ready to come up, and, and they're, just, uh, they're booked, and, and they're going to they're gonna have a great season. Fred, you know, when I look out the window from this room we're in now, it's an amazing vista of Manhattan, Brooklyn. You see Staten Island. You can see the Statue of Liberty. And one of the things I saw from the window today was the Staten Island Ferry. Now, I'm born and raised in New York. I went to high school in the Bronx. I haven't been back to the Bronx in a long time. The last time I was in Staten Island was on a lark. I just took the ferry to say I got there and turned around and came back. Who's going to Staten Island? Now's the time to go. Yeah, it's very true. You know, and there's great cultural gyms in Staten Island. You know, I mean, Snug Harbor is one of my favorites. Um, the Scholars there, Garden there is something you absolutely have to see to believe. Alice Austin House, to me, is, is one of the treasures of New York that a lot of people haven't discovered yet. Um, the famous photographer who was from Staten Island and her story of diversity and celebrating um, life through photography is something that you must see. And there's great shopping now in Staten Island as well with the Alden Mall. So there's remarkable things to see and do even once you get off the ferry. All right, now let's go back to the question I wanted to ask you. In this last eight months of madness and sadness, what are some of the lessons that you not only learned that you weren't expecting, but that you were able to also apply? 
Yeah, I think, you know, we've learned a lot. And, you know, we've had to focus really on the New York City local market, a market that we oftentimes take for granted in many ways. You know, in, in a in normal year, half of our business is day trippers. A lot of people don't really think about that. That That's because of shopping. That's because of culture and arts and Broadway. Um, you know, in the old days, you know what I used to do? I used to avoid going to Midtown Manhattan on a Wednesday. You know why? It was the guys from New Jersey coming over for the theater group. So I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. But now you can go there. Yeah, yeah no, you absolutely can. And, and guess what? Those guys from Jersey are going to be back. I mean, the, the Broadway group business, I'm not concerned about. It will come back up uh, in, in due time. But, but the lessons? The lessons that we've learned, you know, are there's a few things. One, I think, you know, the the diversity of our attractions and cultural community is, is having a moment right now to shine, right? I mean, it's all about local focus. So institutions like the Brooklyn Museum right here, uh, just down the street from us where we are today, um, is one of the most remarkable museums in the world. And if it weren't in New York City, it would be the number one draw uh, because, you know, the Met Museum gets a lot of attention, MoMA, et cetera. So New Yorkers and, and in large part, people around the world through the value of digitization and virtual reality experiences are discovering these cultural gems like the Brooklyn Museum. And I have to tell you, they've done some of the coolest programming. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go out and check it out. So th there is a there's, there's, a, there's another museum mm -hmm. that I pass by on the Grand Central Parkway all the time. Used to be from the 1939 World's Fair. They've now turned it in to the Queens Museum. Yeah, absolutely. With a diorama of New York. It, it's remarkable. And, and so th there's a moment here where we're getting to focus on those. And one of the things that we've really turned to is the reopening stories of New York. The stories of resiliency. And we just launched a new video series on our website celebrating these businesses. And the Louis Armstrong House in Queens is one of those. Another cultural gem. You know, a, a famous New Yorker um, who, you know, if you're not a jazz aficionado, you may not necessarily know his entire story. But the way he moved into that white working class neighborhood at one point in history and the way he engaged with the community, he made such an impact. And his story is preserved. His home is preserved. Um, and there's great stories to discover. And so we're, we're taking a moment to pull back the curtain and, and raise the lights on some of these hidden gems. And then, of course, there's some museums that were challenged, like the Tenement Museum. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there, there's, and there are many that remain challenged. You know, I mean, a lot of 501c6 organizations did not qualify for, for the, the federal uh, disaster relief. So we're hoping that some of that stimulus package gets passed in the new Congress. But, but there, are, there are lots of challenges ahead for cultural organizations, and we're calling on everyone to really dig deep and to go in and support the arts and, and culture in New York. And when this all turns around, and you and I are both confident that it will, we just don't know when, but we are, we are confident that it will, what are we going to do to manage it? Because remember nine months ago, we were talking about over-tourism? Yeah, so interesting that, that, uh, that we've come from that to, to today. We talk about that a lot, you know, and, and I think part of the responsibility of building back better is going to include um, management of that of that aspect of it. And part of that is, is what we've been doing in New York for a number of years, and that is the focus on the, on the boroughs and the neighborhoods, diversifying our business from not just Midtown Manhattan, because as you pointed out, that is just a small part. It, it gets a lot of attention, but it's a small part of the overall pie. So continuing our neighborhood approach, continuing to make sure that those smaller organizations see their fair share, and that we create jobs in all neighborhoods of New York City for hospitality and tourism, that's our opportunity opportunity to build back better. You, know, you mentioned Midtown. I, I'll always remember being on a plane a couple of years ago and talking to a fellow pastor who was coming to New York for the first time. And I said, well, where are you staying? He goes, 
downtown. I said, what's your definition of downtown? He had no idea. Yeah. It's so funny. You know, people uptown, downtown, downtown. Uh, unless you're a New Yorker, those things will confuse you for sure. Exactly. How many different communities in Manhattan alone? Yeah. And neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. And sub-neighborhoods, you know. Uh, it's so true. I mean, and, and growing, right? And each of them have their own their own flavor, their own, you know, personality. And one of the best things uh, I discovered since I moved to New York 20 years ago is just to get lost. You know, get lost in New York. Get off a subway stop before where you're headed to. Explore new neighborhoods. And you'll be surprised what you find. My thanks to Fred. Now, if you're like me, you haven't been flying lately, or at the very least, flying anywhere near as much as you did last year. So what about all those accumulated frequent flyer miles? Are they useless? Even harder to redeem? Brian Kelly, the founder of The Points Guy, has some interesting strategies. My next guest, love having him on the show. He's the founder and CEO at this small little operation called The Points Guy. Brian Kelly, how are you, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Yeah, you know... I would, I would assume that during the pandemic, uh, more than any other time, as people's pent-up demand grows even bigger for travel, that you're getting a lot more traffic. You know, it was, yeah, it was a little bit slow this summer, but, uh, you know, we, traffic has definitely been bounding back. Uh, we're almost at the pre-pandemic levels, but, uh, you know, people are just searching for different things. Uh, instead of uh, how to redeem points to go to London, it's now, where the heck can I go? <laughs> How to redeem points to go to Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. Well, how do you redeem points? Because let me, let me talk about that now, because we're living with, depending on who, you, who you're talking about and, and who you believe, the last thing I saw was something like 23 trillion unredeemed miles out there. Uh, and when you have that amount uh, that's just sitting out there, especially at a time like this, when the airlines actually do have a lot of excess capacity in terms of those awards, it's sort of this double-edged sword, isn't it? It is. You know, the airlines definitely, you know, the, the loyalty programs are what's getting these airlines through this crisis. You know, airlines are still making and hotels billions of dollars selling, you know, future points to credit card companies. So, you know, they need people to still redeem. And, you know, I've traveled, I think, four times now internationally, all using miles, whether, you know, French Polynesia, Croatia. There's been an amazing level of saver level awards. But, uh, you know, the fact is most people aren't traveling, and I don't think the airlines have done enough to do non-travel redemptions. Uh, you know, still, you know, it's not a very good value if you redeem your airline miles for uh, gift cards, which I know a lot of people are looking to do this holiday season. Yeah, that's another way to do it. Although, you know, I'm one of those guys, Brian, who when, that, when I get the solicitation to redeem miles for a magazine, I just want to burn it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's smart. But uh, I have a feeling I worry that so many people, there's so many, you know, I used to call them hoarders because they would keep miles. But now it's to no one's fault that we're hoarding because we can't really use them. But I urge people to, you know, at least wait and see. And you can always book something for 2021. And now almost every airline has changed the rules. So you can cancel your award trip and get all your miles and taxes back. And that's a big and they, difference. And, even and, though, yeah. and, they won't, and they won't charge you a redeposit fee. Exactly. So, you know, using a airline miles these days is basically like buying a refundable ticket. Now, even though a lot of the airlines have, you know, gotten away with change fees on domestic and some Caribbean trips, you know, you don't get your money back. You get a voucher for future use. Uh, some of them are more flexible than others and how you can use it and et cetera. So bottom line is use your airline miles for future trips. Worst case, you can just get them back with zero penalty. Exactly. So as we're counting 
you know, getting closer to the end of the year, beyond the coronavirus, beyond COVID-19, beyond lockdowns and quarantines, you know, we have a new administration coming in. Uh, what does the future of travel look like, let's say, in February? What's your crystal ball telling you? You know, it's going to be a tough winter, I think. You know, it's hard to look past COVID because the numbers right now are ramping up and it's, you know, casting a dark cloud over the industry. Although, you know, certainly the vaccine news is great news. It's going to be well into 2021 before any you know large amount of uh, Americans can get it. But, you know, I've talked to some people in the Biden administration. You know, I'm pushing for the fact we need to have some rules. It, it is absolutely ludicrous. You know, I, when you fly, anyone can fly to the U.S., and you don't even have to get your temperature taken, and they don't even ask you if you're sick or have been around someone with COVID. The U.S. is acting like this virus doesn't exist. You know, I'm going to Rwanda for uh, New Year's, and not only do you have to have a test, a negative nasal test before you arrive, you take one when you arrive and you stay in your hotel until you get your results in about a day. You know, they've got a very robust testing program to protect their citizens. The U.S. is doing nothing. I mean, I get through global entry in 30 seconds. I don't even talk to a human, and I could be infected, and it's like we don't really care. So I'm hoping the Biden administration at least puts some rules, because if we get it under control domestically, if people keep coming into the country with it, we'll never get past this virus. Well, you know, here's the other point. I'm a big fan of a federally mandated mask rule. I'm a big fan, and that, by the way, applies to airlines uh, with the U.S. Mm -hmm. Department of Transportation. Uh you know, we're, you know, when I, I live in New York and I live in L.A., and every time I come back to New York, uh, I'm stopped at the airport when I get off the plane. This is domestic flights now, Brian. And the New mm -hmm. York State Department of Health asked me to fill out a form. Well, I get that. And they ask you whether or not you know, you, you've ever had any symptoms, whether or not you're infected, the, all the obvious questions. They ask you to put down your name and your, and your reachable telephone number. And then they just have you put this form in a box. There's mm -hmm. nobody standing next to you to basically check that the name you put down is the name on your ID. There's nobody there checking that the phone number you put down actually matches your current cell phone that you're holding in your hand. I could put mm -hmm. down Alfred E. Newman on there, and yep. there's no contact tracing. So as well-intentioned as the program is, and I'm not trying to dump on New York, how could it possibly work? I know. Yeah, there's no con. I, I actually, I came from Mexico City to New York about in the, you know mid-October, mid late-October, and the guards were off duty. I guess it was a late on a Monday night. And they just had empty boxes in the lobby of JFK Terminal 4. They didn't even say what they were for. And they didn't even give forms out on the flight. So I applaud New York State for trying, but they clearly don't have the resources to track. We don't have the technology. I mean, you go to Dubai or Doha, those governments, I mean, they put a, a risk. Maybe they're a little too extreme on the privacy side, but they track. They check your temperature. They make sure you quarantine. You know, instead of this honor system, which is just completely ineffective, you know, it's really the U.S. has been embarrassing with how we've dealt with this, with all the resources we have, you know, still, you know, testing takes forever. It's unreliable. Uh, so I'm hoping the new administration has a strategy. <laughs> well, I said this before. I'll say it again. If I get on a plane or you get on a plane and they say, Brian, you have to fasten your seatbelt, you fasten your seatbelt. Why? It's a federal law. And if you yeah. don't fasten your seatbelt, you're in violation of that rule, which is a Department of Transportation rule. You not only get taken off the plane, you get arrested. The U.S. Department of Transportation has not made it a rule to wear a mask. I don't get it. And, so, and some people say, oh, well, it's not in their authority. 
That's BS. I mean, after 9-11, you know, there's a right to bear arms. Great. In the U.S., but you can't on a plane because that's a federal rule. It's for the safety of everyone. You should not be able to be contagious during a pandemic without wearing a mask on a plane. It's it's no different than taking a weapon to someone who could be extremely susceptible. So, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it, it really is just kind of like the government is has its head in the sand, in my opinion, especially when it comes to travel. Thankfully, the airlines and hotels have stepped up, but... You know, our government should be doing something to try to get this under control. Or the government has its head inside another orifice. Because here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the other thing. It's back to the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, I know that the current administration has a sort of anti-regulatory approach, but there's a rule on the books right now. It's been on the books for a long time at the U.S. DOT. I talk about it on this show all the time, that if an airline cancels your flight, not if you cancel the flight, if the airline cancels the flight, you're entitled to a full refund back to your original form of payment, even if you bought a so-called non-refundable ticket. And the, you, and everybody's in violation of that. There's so many airlines in violation of it. And the only thing the U.S. Department of Transportation has done is send out a letter to the offending airline saying, we're sort of concerned that you're doing this. Could you possibly stop? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, it's just this past week, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is now allowing creditor, uh, you know, uh, banks and uh, you know payday loan companies they're now allowed to contact you via your social media accounts to collect the debt yeah that's a lot of consumer protection right there yeah i get you know sometimes there's too much regulation and for business etc but when it's people's lives on the line it's just ridiculous so you know i i hope the new administration takes a different stance and by the way that doesn't mean that everything has to have a regulation but remember the reason why we have speed limits is because after a certain speed people can die get it it's I mean, not, it's not your constitutional right to go as fast as you want. It's you know, it's not your constitutional right to give someone a deadly virus. I agree. I could, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. We're talking to Brian Kelly, the founder and CEO at the Points Guy. Brian, you got your annual awards. Who are the winners? Who are the losers, and why? Well, so we, this year, you know, our awards is usually in December. We throw a big party on the Intrepid in New York, and you know, we try to make you know travel. We think is fun, so we try to throw a big party. Uh, this year, clearly, that's not possible. It's our third year. So what we're doing is splitting it up uh, into four weeks. Uh, this week, we just kicked off with Airlines Week, uh, where we have readers vote on the best airline uh, loyalty program and the best airline credit card. And the winner of both of the last two years, Delta has swept these categories. But this year, Southwest took best loyalty program and best uh, credit card for their uh, rewards premier credit card. So, uh, yeah, Southwest yeah. was a big winner in the Reader's Choice Awards. And I think that's probably because Southwest is, you know, they've always been flexible. It didn't take a pandemic, you know, for them to say, oh, yeah, if you want to cancel your ticket for any reason, we'll give you the voucher. And I guess that, that was the, the key flexibility. Well, you know what? It was, it, it was more than just the voucher issue. They weren't going to charge you a change fee. Yeah. And Southwest has never done that. So, I, you know, I think... Yeah. The core of Southwest has been consumer friendly, and I think that was the key key on the mind of our vote, thousands and thousands of voters this year. Yeah, and, um, and Brian, the, the the their rewards credit card. I have to tell you, if you take a look at the deal that they were offering, I don't know if they're still offering it now, but I looked at it earlier. The deal that they were offering, basically, you were like so close to another tier just by getting the card that your companion would fly free with you for a year. Peter, you're so right. For anyone listening who doesn't know, if you fly Southwest and you have a companion, the Southwest has it's kind of like an elite status level. Once you get a certain amount of points, 
which you can earn from the credit cards, you get a free companion. And here's the kicker. If you get it early in the year, you get it for the rest of that year you earn it, as well as the next year. So it's been one of the most lucrative airline perks out there, and they were giving it away, basically, with the credit card, with a couple different offers that they had. So uh, kudos to Southwest for winning the Reader's Choice, uh, part of our Aviation Week. Um, All right, so that was the loyalty program and, and the credit card. Yep, and then so we had our Editor's Choice. So this year, as you kind of mentioned earlier, it's been a tough year for the airlines, and we wanted to highlight the airlines that were going above and beyond. So our team of editors, uh, we have two awards. One was innovation in airline loyalty. And as you know, you know, most of the airlines uh, have, you know, extended elite status and been flexible. But a lot of them have done gone above and beyond. And this year, actually, American Airlines won that award or American Advantage program. Not only did they extend uh, elite benefits, they were the first to do so in a really big way. They also did a lot of innovative things, like they brought back the ability to earn lifetime miles on their co-branded credit cards. And uh, they lowered the qualification levels. They also gave in, you know, uh, uh, perks with American Airlines vacations for their elite members. So we felt like Advantage was really the innovator in the space. Since a lot of the airlines just copy each other's changes, we felt like American Airlines led the way with their loyalty program. Okay. And then, so the, yeah. I, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. And then the, the second thing, you know, during a pandemic, safety is top of mind for consumers. So we, you know, we ranked all the airlines and we looked at every single safety measure they did. Some of them was more, you know, had more lip service than actual policy. But we gave the Spotlight on Safety Award to Delta. You know, Delta has, in our opinion, gone way above and beyond, not just blocking middle seats. They're, they're now doing that through January, where even uh, Southwest and JetBlue are stopping at early December. Um, but they really they put together a safety council They've teamed up, uh, you know, with Lysol. You know, they're very transparent with how often they clean the planes. So we, we thought Delta has done a great job in communicating their safety plan and, and shoring up confidence with consumers to get back on planes safely. Yeah, you know what? It, it, even though, you know, the actual blocking of the center seat is more cosmetic than anything else in terms of its real effectiveness in preventing the problem, uh, it sends the right message. And Delta will be the first one to tell you uh, and we were able to confirm it, that so many people were actually booking Delta flights simply because of that center seat. Absolutely. You know, you know, some people will say, well, it's not a full six feet, but it does matter. Look, everything is risk. And, you know, the further you are away from people, the better. So six feet is ideal. But, you know, you know, and I know a lot of people in the industry say, you know, stop promoting that practice. It's not sustainable. We all know it's not sustainable. But Delta took a short-term revenue hit when they desperately needed it to kind of give consumers that extra peace of mind. So we think that that's pretty noteworthy. Um, and then our last award, I love this one. This was the Making a Difference Award. And this went to people giving back in the airline industry. And I don't know, Peter, have you heard of Project Wingman? It's an incredible organi- organization of flight attendants, pilots, who came together during the pandemic to put up pop-up lounges in hospitals across the UK and the United States. So we gave that special award to the founders of that. Uh, Anders Lindstrom, who is the Norwegian Air Communications Director, and then EasyJet Captain Emma Henderson and British Airways Captain Dave Fielding. They're the founders of that organization, and they really brought, you know, all these airline employees who were furloughed or out of work started volunteering to help our frontline workers, which we thought was kind of the spirit of the airlines industry. Very, very cool. I love it. I love it. And you know what? We're going get, to get you back on the show to talk about hotels 
and cruise lines and everybody else. Brian Kelly, the founder and the CEO at The Point Sky. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. And maybe one of these days I'll get one of those Southwest Airlines credit cards because it sounds like a pretty good deal. I'll, I'll be your companion, Peter. <laughs> All right. You'll be my wingman. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> My thanks to Brian, to Arnie Weissman, and to Fred Dixon. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel and answers to your travel questions, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen. And for breaking news travel updates wherever it happens, whenever it happens, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Always on the go. You can take CBS Mornings with you. Wake up to your daily dose of news and interviews on the CBS Mornings On The Go podcast. Listen to CBS Mornings On The Go ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.